You are listening to Church of the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchoftheoaks.com. kids are heading out, you want to hear a kid story real quick? You have to, because it's the only intro I have for our time in the Word this morning. My name is Britton, by the way. I'm the pastor here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, I would love to get to meet you sometime before uh, we get out of here. One of the good things about having uh, low attendance days at Oaks when crazy stuff's going around is like we have the opportunity to meet each other and spend time together when the room's not packed to the walls. Uh, so I would love to get to spend some time with you and just get to learn your name and uh, know how I can be praying for you and walking with you uh, as we go forward. So uh, the other day, Jessica and I, we were at Lake Nickel with our kids. We just having one of those, those, you know, family moments, you know, that you need to put on Hallmark card kind of things, you know, right? And we're running around, boys are skipping rocks, Rose is right next to us because she's Rose and she just likes us a lot. And uh, we're just kind of having, you know, some time. But the time comes to, to leave. And so we call out to the kids, we're like, hey, guys, we're heading, we're, it's time to leave. Uh, go jump in the van, you know, so... Rose, the six-year-old girl, like she's instantly, she's in the van. I mean, she no hesitation. She's like, yeah, daddy, let's go. And uh, she's immediately obedient. She gets in the van. The boys act like nothing has happened, right? It has zero effect on them at all. And uh, so Jessica and I, uh, we're, we're trying to, you know, grow a maturity as parents. And so we did the most mature thing we could think of. We tiptoed like behind the van and snuck in this thing as, qui- as quietly as we could, shut the doors and, and drove off. Like that's, <laughs> that's what we did. And then we're like, we got halfway across like the parking lot to Lake Nickel. We're like, you know, we're, we're about to turn up on the main road before we look, we're looking in the rearview mirror and Jack's back there. He's like, you know, <laughs> like you can obey or not, uh, but it's probably better for you if you do. Um, uh, which kind of is like this our situation a lot of times. Like we, there's, there's an option to obey or not. Um, and it comes with uh, ramifications one way or the other. There's an option to obey. There's an option to not. There's a choice there. Or we can choose to be people when it comes to the Lord. We can be people who choose to obey the Lord. Or we can be people who choose not to. But if we choose not to, there are some ramifications, some repercussions for that. But God's not going to force you to make that choice. He leaves it with you. I don't think I, I realize all the time how often I'm making that choice. There's, there's massive ways when it comes to like salvation, when it comes to our approach, our worldview, when it comes to Jesus. Like there's, there's huge ways that we choose to obey him or not, to trust Christ as our Savior or not. But there's so many little small ways, day in, day out, where I don't, I don't realize how often I'm facing this choice of am I going to obey him or not. And I definitely don't think about the repercussions of that. The passage we're going to be uh, jumping into this, this morning is in the book of, of Numbers. No cheers for Numbers. Like, you know, like, let's go Numbers. I love Numbers. You know, like, uh, so we're going through this whole story. We're going through the whole Bible, right? We're going from beginning to end, um, looking at the whole story of what God has done. And we get to this, this point in Numbers where, where the people of Israel are, are finally faced with this choice of whether they're going to obey the Lord, trusting him, like in their in faithful trust if they're going to obey him or if they're going to doubt him and disobey. That's essentially what it comes down to. They're going to have this choice. That's a lot like us. 
If, you know, if you're not familiar with the book of Numbers, like you didn't read it this week or something, all right, let me give you a quick overview. Right, Numbers chapter 1 through 10, the first 10 chapters, they're still in the Sinai area, they're still on Mount Sinai, where we talked about a couple weeks ago, where they established the covenant with God, they got the Ten Commandments, all that stuff happened there, they built the tabernacle, but they've been there about a year, just, just over a year, they've been in this region of Sinai getting everything ready, okay? Then something happens. In Numbers 10, verse 11, it says, In the second year, in the second month, on the twelfth day of the month, that's very specific, the cloud lifted. This cloud was the, 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 expre- like the visible expression of the presence of God. We talked about that in the tabernacle. The cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel, like they're supposed to follow this thing. So they set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud gets settled down all the way over in the wilderness of Paran. So they set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. This is the way this is supposed to work. God said, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guide you by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. My presence my, is, is this pillar, right? And it's gonna be over the tabernacle and one day the, the cloud lifts and begins to move. Everybody packs everything up and they follow the presence of the Lord to Paran. Numbers 11, um, they got, it talks about how they, they made it about three days in before the complaining started. Like Jessica's talking about her minivan. I don't. I think minivans are made for complaining about road trips. Um, any of you have ever been in a minivan? You hated it in there, and you were mad the entire time. Like these, you can you kind of know how this works. Like there's just some complaining that starts. They made it three days, which for my family is pretty decent. Sometimes my kids are complaining before we like get ten minutes down the road, right? So they're three days in, they start complaining, but they're not just complaining about oh it's a long walk or whatever. They're complaining about God's ability to provide. They're complaining about the food. God had been raining manna on them, which is just this crazy miracle, but that's been happening for a year now, and they're kind of getting tired of it, and they're complaining about how they want some meat, and that God's provision's not enough for them. If God would just give me a little more, a little better, does that sound familiar at all? They're accusing God of not caring for them well enough. In the next chapter, in chapter 12, Moses' brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, uh, they're openly opposing Moses' leadership. Like, that's God's decision to place Moses in this position of leadership. They're open, openly questioning, like, God's decision, questioning the Lord. By the time you get to Numbers 13, they, they, they get to Paran. It, it's not a long journey, but a lot of terrible has already happened. They're already showing their, their lack of faith, their lack of trust in the Lord, just as they're just making it to the next point in the journey. It's obvious that there's, there's some lack of trust. There's some doubt in them about God's nature, his provision, his kindness. Judson talked about the holiness of God. They're not approaching him as holy. They're approaching him as questionable. Now, this is not a long journey, all right? Like the whole, from getting from Sinai up to the promised land, this is only supposed to take about two weeks. It's not, I got a map for you on our Jumbotron. All right. Right, so we got this map. So they've, they've left Egypt over here. They've come down here to the Sinai area, and they're just making it right here to Paran. It's not that far, right? And then where they're going to get across, that, up in Jerusalem, up there, like that's, they've made it halfway, all right? They've made it about halfway. They're in Paran. It's, they're, they're getting things done, but it's not going well. They're whining and complaining the whole way, despite all that God has done, despite God parting the sea, despite all that he's done. Like they're, they're still, they still don't trust him. In Numbers chapter 13, God continues to be faithful, continues to be patient, continues to hold up his into the covenant to save his people. He's being faithful. He's promised to give them the land of their own, to bring them to this place, to bless them, to fight their enemies, to, to bring them to this place where they were going to be a blessing to the nations around them. So they arrive and pray and they settle in. This is what happens in, in Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses 
saying, send men to spy out the land of Cana, it's the promised land, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. Now from each tribe of your fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. All right, so, so Moses sent them from the wilderness of Pran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the people of Israel. He sends these 12 leaders, these people who are supposed to be like faithful to the Lord, trusting the Lord. They're guiding the people in the way they should go, right? There are these 12 leaders among them. Verse 17 says this. It says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, go up into the Negev, go up in the hill country, and see what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they're few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there's trees in it. It's like, get all the details, get all this information. And he says, be of good courage. He challenges these leaders to be courageous as they're going about this task. And it says this, bring some of the fruit of the land back with you. He's like, bring me a, you going to bring me a present? Like, you know, bring a, bring a souvenir. Like, we, we want to see this. He says, now is the time, the season of the first ripe grapes. All right, so these guys head out. The 12 of them, they head out together. They're going to be of good courage. They're going to go spy out the land, see what things look like, see how the whole thing's laid out and what, they, what the people are going to expect as they enter this land that guys promised them. So they make the rest of the journey on up the map right there. You know, they enter the promised land and it's incredible. Like it's just better than you could have possibly imagined. Have you ever been somewhere that just kind of was all like you showed up and you're just kind of awestruck at it? Like I remember one time, I, I, Jessica and I, we, we went to Yosemite. We drove into that. If you've been to Yosemite, there's this little narrow valley, like, you know, cavern thing you drive into and then it opens up and it's just crazy. Like if you've been somewhere that just strikes awe in your heart. They cross into the promised land and it just strikes all oh, like God's gonna give us this. It's beautiful. So they, they're there, they do the, the journey through the land, they, they check everything out. It says they cut down a single cluster of grapes. And you remember it said it was the time of the, the grapes to be ripe? They cut down a single cluster of grapes and they had to hold it on a pole between them. All right, those are some grapes. You ever go to Walmart and you get those giant grapes? I don't like the giant grapes. Like, it's like a little bomb inside your mouth. Every, you know what I'm saying? But I don't know. Maybe they're the small grapes. just a bunch of them, all right? But there's enough of them. They got a stick between two guys. You know? and like, grapes would be awkward to carry, you know, that many grapes, you know? So they got the stick, and they're walking around, and do-do-do, I'm stealing this, bye, you know? And they start heading back down the map uh, to the camp. They got the grapes, but there's also people there, big ones. And that, that challenge to be of good courage started to waver in some of their hearts. I remember like just over a year ago, God had brought these people out of slavery, like 400 years of slavery by these 10 plagues. God had shown up in this in, like unimaginably powerful ways. They did nothing of their own accord. In their power, they did nothing. They accomplished nothing to escape slavery. God did it all by himself. Brought them out by his mighty hand. And they're getting chased by the Egyptian army, right? And God parts the sea and they walk across on dry ground and the, the enemies pursue them. The sea collapses back in and their enemies are defeated. They didn't do anything to accomplish that. They just got to see God move. But when they get to the promised land and they see these cities, they see these people, all of a sudden they start, start thinking a little bit about what they're capable of and a whole lot less about what God's capable of. And fear creeps in. You would think that after all that he had done, 
That would have inspired just such confidence in them, right? Having seen what they'd seen, you would expect that to have inspired such confidence in them that when they saw these cities and you see these people and you see these challenges up ahead, and you're like, this is gonna be crazy when God accomplishes what he says he's gonna accomplish. But instead, they don't, they don't do that. They don't think about what God's gonna do. They start thinking about what they're gonna do. When you face challenges in your life, do you see those as opportunities for God to show out or for you to have to show up? Because what happens to me is that every time those challenges, like every time I run into minivans breaking down in Heritage House, which that's, that's rough. <laughs> uh, like every time that kind of stuff happens, I'm not thinking about all the things that I've seen God do, saving my life for this life and for eternity, like I, and everything else he's done. I start thinking about, I gotta show up. I gotta get strong. I gotta get powerful now. Because a little challenge showed up. I don't know if you're like me in that, but these people are exactly like me. After 40 days, these guys return. Everybody gathers around to hear the report. Everybody's packing in. You know, Moses is there. Aaron's there. Everybody's there. There's this huge anticipation. Like they come marching into the, into the camp, you know, got the grapes on the stick. You know, it's this whole scene. Everybody's packing in to hear what they're going to say. The people have got to be pumped. Especially about these grapes. Like, I, I'm going to get me some of them grapes. When I get the promised land, like, I'm getting some of them grapes. Like, that's, you know, that's, it's got to be this big moment. But then the group of spies quiets the people down and uh, starts to share, share the bad news, you know? It says the people there are strong, the cities are fortified. They begin to explain how there's multiple groups across the land, each stronger than the next. And the crowd that, that had this sound of excitement and anticipation when they were showing in, the, the sound shifts and all of a sudden it's the sound of fear. Tones not like it was in the beginning. Seeing things are kind of going sideways in this announcement, right? Caleb, one of the spies, steps up. He quiets everybody down and he does his best rally cry for the people. He says, no, 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 like, listen, listen, I know like there's all that, you know, that's true. But listen, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. He's like, guys, we can do this. Let's go. Like God, if God's for, like who can be against us? Let's go. Caleb's looking to the Lord's strength. The other, the rest, the 10 of them are looking at their own. So Caleb does his best rally cry. We're well able to overcome it. It's just met with crickets. Nothing. People, even on their little few days journey up there, they'd already shown the condition of their faith. They doubted God on the way to Sinai. They distanced themselves from him at Sinai. They got scared of him and said, Moses, no, you go up. We're not, we, don't want to, we don't want to hear from him directly. We don't, we don't want to, have to be that close to him. We want to watch at a distance. Then they, when they finally time to head out, they complained against him all the way up there. They've opposed God's chosen leader. They've repeatedly talked about preferring to go back to slavery than to follow God in faith. They've shown the condition of their faith, complaining all the way through. And so they're, when they're met with this news of, yeah, there's some barriers. Yeah, there's going to be some challenges ahead. And Caleb says, let's go. Are you able to do this? Think about what all God's done. They don't respond in faith. They don't respond in obedience. They respond in doubt and disobedience. Caleb's rally craft falls flat. So the others, they step back up, and that's what they say in verse 31. It says, the men who had gone up with him said, no, we're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. But wasn't Egypt, right? 
They brought the people of the Israel a, a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land though through which we have gone to spy, uh, to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people that we saw in it are of great height. There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. We seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. This is a faithless response. It's a faithless response. Yeah, they're fearful, but they're fearful because of a lack of faith in God's ability to do what he said he was going to do. Despite what they'd seen God do, they didn't believe he would do what he'd said. Despite what they'd seen him do, all of a sudden they start just like, I don't know. I know God said that he was going to be faithful. I know he said he's going to provide. I know he said he's going to be able to do this. I don't know. I don't know. It's exactly what happens to me. It's exactly what happens to us a lot. Like Christians, we've trusted our eternity to the fact that God came and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus lived a perfect life, died on a cross in our place, rose from the grave three days later, and then ascended back to the Father to offer us grace, to forgive us, to reconcile us back to God. Like, we're trusting that he could do that. Right? Like, we're, we're trusting that God can accomplish that. But when it comes to, like, the, the details of life, you know, the, the micro decisions, the micro barriers, when it comes to those, sometimes our actions show a, they show a profound lack of faith. I see it in my life. I, I think you probably see it in yours. Where when it comes to those small things, those, those, those day-to-day decisions sometimes that happen, or some of the like, larger ones too, it shows a lack of faith because all of a sudden we get focused on what we can do and what we can accomplish, forgetting about all that he has done. When you have decisions about your future, Whose wisdom do you seek? Who do you seek out to to think through those decisions about your future? When you're deciding how to use your money, whose whose wisdom do you rely on? Whose whose priorities take precedent? When your marriage gets rough, who do you run to? Where do, you, where, do you seek the, where do you seek advice? Where do you seek wisdom? Where do you find solace? When you're facing like, some depression and some anxiety, where's the first place you go? How do you handle that? What do you do with it? Who do you take it to? For some of us, it's like all these things, it's just us, it's ourselves. We put it in like, I'm gonna bow up, I'm gonna be strong enough, I'm gonna handle it. For some of us, it's the people around us in our community are like, well, I'm gonna see what they have to say, what they have to say, and I'm gonna seek wisdom from all of these people. And some of that's, Maybe godly wisdom, some of it's not, right? Some of it's like, I'm going to go get on the internet and I'm going to find the most compelling blog article that I can possibly find and I'm going to look at that and that, that self-help kind of wisdom and I'm going to chase that down. And then maybe, I'll throw, throw a Bible verse in there or something on top of it. Are you seeking him and his wisdom? Are you seeking him and his strength? Are you seeking, like, are you seeking what he would have you to do? Or are we doing what the Israelites did, where we just kind of lean back and say, okay, okay, I know that he's handled all that in the past, and now I'm going to handle this one now. I'm going to figure this out. God, I got this. I know you're busy. I've got this. A lot of times in those details, we trust ourselves. Trust a voice on YouTube. We'll trust the voice of prevailing culture. We'll allow those things to guide us. Israel hits a challenge, forgets God's promise, and listens to the loudest voice. They took matters into their own hands, same as you and I do. 
So the people who listened, they ended up afraid. Numbers 14, verse 1 says this. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people, they wept that night. And all the people of Israel, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the chosen leaders of the Lord, right? The whole congregation said to them, oh, that we would have died in the land of Egypt or that we would have died in this wilderness. That would have been even better. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Like, why is, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, fine, let's choose a leader. We're going back to Egypt. In light of all that God has done, they face a challenge that they can't figure out how to, how to handle in their own strength. And all of a sudden, everybody's ready to pack it up and go back to Egypt and go back to slavery. Christians, we do the same thing when we pack it up and go back to bondage to all the things that Christ set us free from to try to find solace and freedom in them. Because sometimes we get scared that what if he doesn't come through? What if he's leading us to somewhere that I wouldn't want to go? What if he calls me to the nations? What if he calls me to go plant? What if he calls me to my neighbor and I have to do something awkward? And we're like, oh, I'm pack it up. I'm going to go find uh, entertainment. I'm going to go find uh, numbing over here so I don't have to follow him any longer. It's like they've never seen God act. Like, think about the doubt in this. Like, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Is that what he promised? Like they'd never seen his power. They'd never seen his love, his grace. Remember, remember, like while they're having this, like the tabernacle's there, the presence of God is in this pillar sitting on top of the tabernacle. And they're like, why is God right there like this? Why would he do this to me? I've heard that thought in my head. When I've faced challenge, when I've faced heartache, when I've faced difficulty, God, why would he do that? Is that what God's doing? Is God bringing about evil for these people? No. It's that doubt in their heart that's leading to disobedience, that disobedience is leading to mistrust. They're trusting that their thoughts, their emotions, their fear is true. And because their fear is true, then he can't be. That gets me all the time. Verse 5 says this, Then Moses and Aaron, they fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation, the people of Israel. They're trying to climb the crowd down. So Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, who were among those who had spotted the land, they, they tore their clothes and said to all the congregation, the people of Israel, God, listen, the land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the, the people of the land for their bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. They're saying, listen, like, have faith. Think about who you're talking about here. Like, you don't have to fear these people. Like, just think about what he's done. Have faith. Have the faith to trust and obey. Now, yes, God was calling Israel to do something that seemed impossible, seemed terrifying. But it wasn't based on their ability to see it through. All they had to do was, like, walk, right? That was the big ask. Just walk up here. I'm going to handle it for you. Just come on. I got you. No. That was too much. The whole promise, the whole plan here is based on God's power, his provision. All they had to do was trust him, show up, act, be there. They were too afraid. They wanted to run. 
All they had to do was trust him. It reminds me of Psalm chapter 37, verse 3. It says this, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Give me the desires of your heart because you're delighting in the Lord. So you get more of the Lord. And then verse five, he says this, says commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he'll act. I think a lot of us, we, we, we hit these points where we're, we're trying to figure out our way forward. Whether that's as a spouse, whether that's a college student, whether that's as a parent, whether that's a coworker, whether that's just a believer in the kingdom, we're trying to figure out our way forward. So many times, like the fear of what could go wrong and what if this happens and what if that happens, all of that creeps in and we try to insulate ourselves from every possible variable instead of just committing to the way the Lord has called us to go, trusting in him to act. I don't know where he's calling you to go right now. There may be anything on your heart at all. There may be some challenges you're facing right now. I don't know. Listen, commit your way to the Lord. That doesn't mean like you're going to decide your way and then like, like, God, I want you to bless my way. That means you're going the way God's calling you to go. So you're listening. You're abiding well. You're trying to follow him and his word, not the loudest voices in your head, right? Trusting in him and trusting that he's going to act. Israel did not have every detail of the plan laid out before them. God had not explained every detail of how he was going to deliver them and how this promised land thing was going to happen and all this was going to transpire. They didn't have every single step laid out before them. They had the next right step, and all they had to do was be faithful to that and the next one and the next one. I know you don't know the whole plan. I know that you don't know every single thing that's going to happen in the next five years. I know you want to real bad, and God has never once shown me or them or you that. But he will show you the next right step. act. If you trust him, you'll obey. If you doubt him, you won't, right? It really is that kind of dichotomy, right? That like trust leads to obedience to what he's called you to do. And like doubt, like mistrust, I'm not saying like flash doubt, like all of us have things we're trying to figure out about the Lord and there's doubt and stuff that comes up. When you're doubting him, doubting his nature, like I don't know if God's good. I don't know if he's going to see me through this. That kind of doubt, it leads to disobedience. Listen, for us in this room, God still calls us to do some things that require an awful lot of trust. He's calling us to obey in some things that require a lot of trust of us. Like that's still, that's still our situation here. Like first and foremost in salvation. Like when it comes to trusting in Christ, like for our salvation, trusting in Jesus for our eternity, that requires a lot of faith and trust. Trusting like the fact that when he says, I've done all that needs to be done, that he says that he'll provide for us, that he's, he's come, dwelt among us, gave his life for us, that if we'll just put our faith in him, that his righteousness is counted as our righteousness. That's all I trust. He says that he rose from the grave three days later like so that we could have new life in him. He says the first fruits from the grave. Like There's a lot of faith and trust in that. When he said that I'm going to prepare a place for you, there's a lot of faith there. I'm going to send the, the helper. I'm going to send the spirit to dwell with you, to God and comfort you. Like, it's a lot of trust. And some of you in this room, like, I, I, you're, you're wrestling with this. Like, am I going to come to the point where I can trust Jesus enough for my salvation? One of my favorite things about Oaks is that this is a church where you can be here and figure that stuff out openly. 
You don't have to like hide, like, oh, I'm not sure about, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. Like, you don't have to hide that here. A lot of you are here figuring out whether you're going to trust Jesus as your Savior or not. And man, I'm so, I just want to, I just want to like honor you and like, like appreciate the fact that you're putting in the hard work of deciding if you're going to trust him. You see the weight of this. It's a lot of weight. Those of you who are Christians, you've come to the point that you've trusted in Jesus for your eternity. Be reminded of the, the weight of what you're putting your faith in, of how significant that is. He's calling you to trust in something that requires a lot of faith. But after that, Christians, like you, you're over that hurdle, like you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. He's not done. He continues to call us. Even if you trust Christ, he calls his people to keep acting in faith. Some of you are feeling called to do all kind of stuff. Some of you are feeling called to like make an invite to a neighbor or a friend and like somebody that you, that's been on your heart for weeks or months sometimes. You're like, Man, I really need to talk to my coworker, talk to my neighbor about the gospel and maybe invite him to come to church with me or something. Like that, that's... That requires some trust in the Lord, right? Some of you have been like trying to figure out, like, is this the church where I'm going to plant my feet and I'm going to be a member of this thing? Like, like stepping into a new community and saying, I'm going to run hard with the church. That's a lot for us. Like we have a lot of people at our church that have kind of been burned a few times. And jumping into a new community and saying, I'm going to be a part of this church, that's, that requires a lot of faith in the Lord. Some of you are feeling called to step up and lead a huddle or some of you are feeling called to get married, move jobs, keep the same job. Like all, like all kind of, you know, <laughs> all of us are facing these things all the time. And all of them require trust. What happens for us so many times is that we start to doubt the goodness of the Lord. We start to forget what he's done. We start to take all of the weight of, of the success of all of our plans onto ourselves. And we get fearful. You can choose to trust God and obey, or you can doubt God and disobey. It's our choice. And and, and it's it's kind of an oversimplistic explanation of that, but at the core of a lot of the decisions I make that are are disobedient, I can see this this shadow of mistrust in the Lord and his, his goodness. As you're thinking about the things and decisions and the stuff that you're facing, you're trying to figure out just hold those two in your head. Like <laughs> Faith leads to obedience. Obedience requires faith. In those areas where you're starting to trust those loudest voices, you're starting to trust your, your voice or those voices, you're starting to move away from what God's called you to do. Quiet, quiet his voice for the sake of theirs. I, I, want you, like, I want you to see that's a point of disobedience. And, and, but here's the heartbreaking part of this whole story, this whole account. The heartbreaking part for me and you. God honors their choice. These people are choosing to disobey. They're choosing to doubt God and to not follow in the way he's called them to go. And God honors that choice. Listen to verse 22 of chapter 14. It says, none of the men, this is God speaking. He's explaining what's going to happen. He's like, okay, so none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt in the wilderness... And have yet put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them are going to see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. That's, that's the way this is going to go. It says, none of them who despised me shall see it. Those who had doubted and disobeyed it. So he's saying none of the people over the age of 20, none of them are going to get to enter the promised land. 
They'd all wander around in the desert. And you saw the map. It's not that far, right? The spies did it. And they went there and back and walked around and did it in the middle of it. And they did all that in 40 days. They're gonna, you're going to wander around for 40 years. And so the last one of you has gotten exactly what you wanted. Because I remember that's what they said. <laughs> it would be better for us to die in this desert than to enter that land. God says, okay. That's what we're going to do. And then he tried again with their kids. God honors their choice to disobey. The Bible Project says it like this. It says, while God is faithful to see his people uh, and, uh, and his promises, he will honor their choices and let them waste their whole lives if they choose to live in rebellion. They chose to live in rebellion, so God says, okay, I will choose to let you waste your whole life walking in rebellion if that's what you want. He's going to remain faithful to his promises. He's just not going to force himself on them or you. We just have to decide if we're going to trust him for salvation, for life, for those day-to-day decisions. Am I going to trust him or not? I'm going to step over that fear. I'm going to trust in him in light of all that he's done, in light of this massive evidence of his kindness and goodness and mercy and love. Am I going to choose to obey him or am I going to choose fear and choose disobedience? God does make a distinction between all the people uh, and two, two others. In verse uh, 24 of chapter 14, it says this. God makes this decision. It's kind of this in his side. He's made this declaration. I'm going to choose to honor your choice. But then he says this. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has, has followed me fully, I'll bring into the land into which he went. And his descendants shall possess it. Caleb was the one who stood up and he gave the rally cry and he was faithful. He's like, guys, we can do this. God is able to do this. Let's, let's, go, let's go now. Let's go now. Saying, Caleb, and later he includes Joshua in this a few verses later. He says, Caleb and Joshua, the two that were, that were faithful, they'll see it. And no one else will. That's not, that's not an arbitrary punishment. All right? Like, God's not being childish here. There were two who wanted to walk in the promise and there were a whole bunch who didn't. There were a whole bunch who wanted to run around, want to run away in fear. They got what they wanted. To waste their life wandering in fear. And two, two who wanted to pursue God in faith, they received the reward of that. These two stood in faith. They trusted him. They believed in him. They wanted to obey him. And it would make all the difference for them. You and I, we have the choice as well to to disobey and doubt or if we're going to be people who obey in faith. That's set before us in the same way it's set before them. Listen, if you're not a Christian yet, that choice sits before you. Are you going to trust and obey and like follow Jesus? Obeying him, obeying him is not like following a big set of rules or something. What he's, what he's called you to do is trust him in faith. Put your faith in him for your salvation, for this life and eternity. That means just essentially confessing that you are a sinner, that there's stuff in your life that has separated you from God that you can't fix. So you're trusting that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you were meant to live, that you couldn't live, that he gave his life for you on the cross in your place, that he went to the grave, rose from the grave three days later, defeating even death for you. And, that if, and what he's promised is that if you'll just put your faith in him, that you'll be saved, you'll be forgiven. Trusting and obeying in Jesus just starts with that simple truth. 
Do you trust in Jesus for your salvation? That's your choice this morning. You can make that choice right there where you sit. But for a lot of us in the room that are Christians already, it's not that choice that's giving us trouble. It's some small little choice way down line that's far more insignificant than that one, right? And we're choking on it. Saying, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm good with him saving me. I'm good with you trusting my eternity to Jesus, but can I trust my day to him? Can I trust my marriage to him? Can I trust my kids to him? Can I trust where I'm going to you know, spend the next two years of my life to him? Those choices are the ones that we're choking on. So in the things that you're facing, and the barriers that you're facing, and the challenges you're facing, and you're sitting in right now in this room, as hard as it is, and as big as that fear feels inside your gut, Will you trust him and obey? That choice is yours. And he'll honor that choice either way. Our band's going to come and lead us in a time of response. And I just want to give you some time to pray. I want to give you some time to reflect and think. And, um, and then I want us to have some, a moment to we'll get to worship together. And so our band's making the way to the stage. In just a minute, our next steps team's going to be back there, back against that back wall. They're just there to pray with you. And so if you got something going on, like if your minivan's breaking down, like you see somebody to pray with you, like they're there for you. But if you're wrestling with something, you're saying, listen, I'm, there's some things that God's calling me to that I've just been afraid of, would you just pray for me to have the courage to follow well? Like they would love to pray with you about those things. If that's a salvation issue, if that's just a daily challenge issue, that's why they're there. Sometimes it's just so powerful to say that out loud to somebody else and let them pray over you. So, man, I, I, when our band leads in just a second, I want you to slip out, go back there to the back, let somebody pray over you about what you're facing, what's going on, let them pray for you to have courage, and then come back to your seat and worship us, okay? That's your time to respond. I want to pray for you, and you respond as you feel that, all right? Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for the time uh, to get to look into your word. Um, I got honestly, for, for me, walking through this passage and holding up those those two options, those two choices. It's hard. Thinking through the, the, the things that I'm facing and the, the spaces and the ways that I allow doubt to creep into my heart, which leads me to disobedience. God, I pray that you forgive me of those. All across this room, like God, the, the ways that we allow doubt to creep in about who you are, your ability to lead, your kindness towards us, when we start to question whether you're going to come through start moving in disobedience, trusting in ourselves. God, would you forgive us for that? God, this morning, would you remind us that you are able, that you are able to save, that you're able to redeem, that you're able to provide, that you're able to restore, that you're able to put broken pieces back together, which no one else could, that you're able to defeat enemies that we have no business standing against. You are able. God, fill us with the confidence of that. Help us to run into your promises in full confidence because of who you are. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For more sermons like this, you can give us a follow at Spotify or Apple Music. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out at churchattheoaks.com. Church, you are sent.